in the passages, it's a biblical theme, and there are tough times when our self-seeking, self-oriented nature has to die in order for us to rise with Christ in our own resurrection and in our own new life. It takes a long, long time for most of us, if not all of us. We need God's help for this process called... Hello, and thank you for tuning in to this edition of the Red-Headed Preacher podcast. This is for Sunday, June 21st, Father's Day, uh, 2020. And before going any further, um, I invite you to join me in the spirit of prayer. Great God, we give you thanks for the opportunity through technology and the gift of time to spend a little bit of time together with you across time and space as we open your word together. Bless this time of listening. In the name of Christ, amen. The sermon title today is Tough Times, But. And the scriptures will be read by Karen Christensen, one of our Sunday school teachers. And here we go. Thanks again for tuning in. Our first reading is Genesis 21, verses 8 through 21. Isaac, the long-awaited child of promise given to Abraham and Sarah, has been born at last, and he begins to play with Ishmael. Ishmael is Abraham's older son, whose mother is Hagar, Sarah's handmaiden. It is a joyous time at first, but trouble grows in paradise. The child Isaac grew, and he was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, playing with her son Isaac. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not inherit along with my son Isaac. The matter was very distressing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Do not be distressed because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for it is through Isaac that offspring shall be named for you. As for the son of the slave woman, I will make a nation of him also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she cast the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, Do not let me look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Do not be afraid, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. 
Come, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened his eyes. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. She went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother got a wife for him from the land of Egypt. This ends the reading from Genesis. Our epistle lesson is Romans 6, starting at the second half of verse 1, going through verse 11. In urging his readers to walk in newness of life, Paul presents it as dying and rising with Christ. The passage picks up after discussing being saved by God's grace. Being lost in sin led us to pursue grace. Paul asks, what then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means, how can we who died to sin go on living in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self is crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is freed from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Our gospel reading is Matthew 10, verses 24 through 39. Jesus is talking to his disciples about being persecuted as they were going to be and how they should stand firm no matter what or who came against them. His words may sound strange or harsh to us, but if we remember that historical context of persecution, it will help us understand what he meant. Early on, you will hear the name Beelzebub. That's the name given to the ruler of the demons. Jesus said, a disciple is not above the teacher nor a slave above the master. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher and the slave like the master. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? 
So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing secret that will not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs on your head are all counted. Do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I also will deny before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Here ends the reading from Matthew and our scripture for this morning's service. May God grant us wise and generous understanding of this, God's holy word. Anybody out there have a tough week or a bad day? I have, recently. Not long ago, I was pretty down due to some news I received. It affected the rest of that day. Since I was already thinking about the scriptures for this sermon, I told myself, you know, Jesus said, a disciple's not above the teacher, nor the slave above the master. Well, that meant if Jesus was harangued and ended up on a cross, followers of his should not be surprised. Not that I was verbally attacked, or this news was, you know, attacking me. Uh, but if Jesus suffered, who are we who follow him to think we're immune from tough times? That did not lift my spirits much, but it gave me perspective. The depression lasted while I tried to fall asleep. There, eventually, the Spirit reminded me that when you've done all you can, then let go of it and give it to the Lord. Yes, the let go and let God I've talked about and you've heard about before. I did that in my own way, imagining me lifting it up to God and like putting it on God's shelf or or in God's hands for God to manage now. It was the exact right thing to do for me. And my spirit improved right away. In fact, it opened a way for me to weave our passages together for today. Because you know what? Giving it up, giving it up to God 
is just what Abraham had to do in our story. He was anguished about what Sarah demanded, and perhaps also over God telling him to do what she said. How is this for Father's Day? Send your son, your first son, away with his mother, a division in the family, you won't see them again. He had been Ishmael's father for 13 or 14 years, because Abraham was 86 when he was born. Now he got that his miracle newborn Isaac was the son of the promise, and the lineage God promised was to go through Isaac. He had even been told before this that God would provide for Ishmael, Genesis 17. All the same, there was fatherly love and filial love, and it was being forced away. That had to feel like a ton of bricks, a ton of bricks weighing down Abraham's heart. What did he do? What could he do? He literally gave it to God. He literally let go and let God provide for and bless Hagar and Ishmael, which God did. By faith, he trusted that God had his back. It is faith which lets you and me and Abraham give tough things up to God once they're beyond our control. And maybe we are to do that before things even get that far. When we do not remember we can do this, we suffer longer than we have to. Tough times. But God. God took care of this, enabling trustful, weeping Abraham to move forward and keep his faith. When you and I find it hard to give our burdens over to God, and it's not always easy, remember Abraham. Although it was sacrificial to let go of Ishmael, he did move on in faith because God had made a way somehow all those decades plus Isaac. Tough times come, and fathers know this, as do moms. Kids watch how their parents deal with bad stretches. They listen. They're afraid for their dads when they think bad times are coming for them. Having a living faith in a living God and a loving God is a huge help. The ultimate help. Talking about that with your kids also helps them to have faith and less fear. Isaac was just a baby when his dad went through that, so he was unable to witness it. And perhaps that is why of all the patriarchs, Isaac seems the least spiritual, the least interesting. Rebecca was the intriguing one in that generation. Despite what we heard from Matthew about divisions within families over not following or following the Lord, we also know that the family unit is the most effective way of passing on the faith. Another set of tough times which come for all who seek to follow Christ is what St. Paul wrote about in Romans. At the beginning, he rhetorically asked, 
How can we who died to sin go on living in it? We're talking about denying the old self, the Christless self, the person we were when our lives revolved around us, our welfare, our fears, our needs and wants, our comfort, security, and control before we worried about anyone else's. Martin Luther called sin the soul curved in upon itself. Yes, it's tough saying goodbye and even burying to ourselves the things and forces in you and me which obstruct prioritizing Jesus. But it's not like we're talking about clearly bad things here. Much of the Christian walk is choosing between the greatest and the pretty good. I think we're programmed, since Adam and Eve, to prefer to choose the easier, the supposed good, the shortcut. Besides, really, it's not things we're talking about denying ourselves primarily. It's denying ourselves. It's way deeper than stuff. It includes it. It's deeper than that. It is a Lenten theme. No, I know we're after Pentecost. But it's in the passages, it's a biblical theme, and there are tough times when our self-seeking, self-oriented nature has to die in order for us to rise with Christ in our own resurrection and in our own new life. It takes a long, long time For most of us, if not all of us, we need God's help for this process called sanctification. And shine, Jesus, shine. Read those lyrics again. That's what it's talking about. And to ask for that, you and I need faith. Faith that God will meet us where we are and lead us on to positive change and growth in the Spirit. One example I suggest, is uneducated judgmentalism. This does not fall under choosing between the good and the best. During these weeks of protest and policy changes in some police departments since the murder of George Floyd, a lot of white folks began to listen for maybe the first time after seeing the video of the killing and the look on that officer's face, confident he could get away with this. Lots of folks previously oblivious to built-in protected racist violence got awakened. They started listening, learning, and marching. I started listening again to learn more and more. Beforehand, many of them had looked at earlier protests, perhaps marches and calls for change with a jaundiced eye. Suppose many of them thought African Americans should just put slavery behind them and Jim Crow too, and resented affirmative action's attempts to be a hand up towards equality. But now, the times they are a changing, they're changing, we're changing. Who they were, at least a deep down gut part of who they were, who we were, Their uneducated judgmentalism gets crucified. 
Life, you know, had been easier when one could label people and movements and move on. Label, keep going. You know, but that life is over. It's dead. A longing for righteousness, for justice, got planted in the new soil, the overturned soil that you hadn't seen it before. And Jesus was right alongside. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That sounds ominous. So even given my example, do we want to consider ourselves dead to sin when we enjoy some unrelenting self-orientation? Another way to look at Paul's words and dying to our old selves over time is to ask ourselves, why not die to them? Who would want to cling to the priorities within, which leaves not Jesus as our God? Why not want to rid ourselves of resentments, hard-heartedness, profanity, hurting others carelessly, being stingy, inconsiderate, fearful, lying, and violent? Who would want to stay alive in a life that domesticates not finds life in mercy, love, forgiveness, reconciliation, justice, helpfulness, and peace. That old orientation may be fun, but it won't last into eternity. It may be fun, but it is not fulfilling. It may be fun, but it's not the one, it's not what the one who gave his life for our lives wants for our life. Eternity. Jesus touched on eternity. Let's visit today's gospel, which, like Genesis, brings us indirectly to Father's Day. It's a set of passages about tough times for Jesus and his followers, but... Karen told us that we need to keep in mind when we listen to these passages that Jesus was preparing his disciples for persecution. One writer said that these words teach that, quote, pupils of Jesus are not exempt from any persecution or ill treatment his teacher receives. Don't fear persecution because as long as they, or you and I, proclaim the kingdom of God, They are doing God's will and are on God's side, end quote. Bruner joins, one gets the impression that one goal of Christian ethics in Matthew's gospel is to encourage disciples when their work meets resistance. We should be prepared for trouble, but not frightened of it, end quote. Well, let's get right to what must be the toughest verses we have, or what might be. They certainly imagine tough times, right? Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I also will deny before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter-in-law against her mother. Excuse me, a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law 
and one's own foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Or, as Clarence Jordan in his Cotton Patch Gospel of Matthew put it, anybody who puts his parents above me is not my man. And anybody who puts his children above me is not my man. The person who hoards his life throws it away. But the one, and the one who abandons his life for my cause discovers it. Tough times. But... In those days, you could be disowned by your parents if you followed Jesus. The book of Acts tells us the Jesus movement grew amazingly, but that's also the book where Stephen and James are stoned to death. New Testament letters were written to persecuted churches, including Mark's gospel. The verse before the, do not think that I have come to bring peace but a sword, meaning division, because swords split things, even within families, is preceded by Christ saying, everyone who acknowledges me before others, I also will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. It was tough times to acknowledge Christ as Lord within a faithful Jewish household. Jesus died on a cross, man. That's a curse according to the law. Nobody rises from the dead. He's another false messiah. Don't you follow him. Do not talk about him under this roof. So Jesus said, in essence, if you're following me and your family won't have any of it, leave and find members of my new community. He promised them that any suffering leads to a joyful end before my Father in heaven. Tough times, but... They do not last. Do not fear them overmuch. It was not just in the first few centuries of Christianity that belief in and worship of Christ led to families being divided. First of all, we might know of people who have converted from Judaism or Islam and they are shunned in many cases by their families. In, one, in some cases, they may hold a funeral for you if you're a convert from another faith. Or you might be thrown in jail. But Douglas Hare also wrote, the trauma of being disowned by parents has been experienced by innumerable young Christians in Africa and Asia who have found the courage to follow the Christ despite enormous family pressure. Even in North America and Europe, young people in nominally Christian homes must sometimes face such pressure when their faith in Jesus calls them to follow Christ in Christian service or some other form of poorly paid service to others. In essence, Christ says, stand up for me. Considering, considering what Jesus did for you and me out of grace, do we not owe him the same allegiance, come what may? Bruner says, 
Jesus liberates his people from the lordship of people. It's tough times. But God, God receives those who stand up for Jesus. For Christians in the streets, now calling for an end to poverty, to systemic racism in school systems, property taxes, police and fire departments, mortgage lenders, and parts of the media. For the Christians there, this is one way they are proclaiming the kingdom of God, at least in general terms. The prophets whom Jesus fulfills are angry. There are plenty of angry words in the Hebrew scriptures by the prophets towards those in powerful advantage and who damage the vulnerable for profit. The disciples there are speaking for love distributed, another way to describe justice. And it's for all persons, within all systems. And that makes others afraid, and that causes divisions. In closing, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. even had opponents from fellow black clergy. And we know that not, you know, apart from that, in the end, we know what happened. But we also know that, like Abraham and Jesus, he said he had already given himself up and to God. He was not afraid anymore. He knew Jesus had his back, ultimately. He faced tough times that, like few of us have seen in his labors, <clears throat> not only for civil rights, but later also <clears throat> for an end to poverty and an end to war. Tough times, but <clears throat> faith in Jesus always ends up saying, but... Tough times, but, but God. Amen. I hope you were blessed by this edition of the Redheaded Preacher podcast. It comes to you from St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie, an open and affirming congregation in the United Church of Christ. I hope you'll tune in again. Next Sunday, June 28th, I can't tell you what the scriptures are because I don't have them in front of me, and you know, just because they're in the lectionary is not a guarantee I will be using them. So, thanks once again for tuning in, and God bless your week. Bye.